all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. It's made possible in part by contributions from podcast listeners. Please consider making a contribution by going to the Donate Now tab at mpbonline.org. Thanks for your financial support. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. I want to invite everybody to join us today as much as you can. You may have to come in and out to, depending on your job or what's going on, but I uh, just wanted to invite you to tune in and listen, but also to call this morning. That's right. Southern Remedy is the program that uh, we take your calls live on the air about any kind of health care issue that you might have. So that can be anything from a new medication that you've been prescribed that you don't quite understand. Maybe it's a side effect of a medication. Maybe it's some questions about your overall health and how to prevent some things or a new diagnosis or symptoms that you don't quite understand. You can reach us this morning by dialing one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four. Or if you're not able to call, we are always welcoming of any emails that you might have. We do read those and try to uh, respond to those directly. But we also like to share those if you give us permission on air, because there are always some great topics that we can share with our listening audience. That email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. Uh, lots of things going on in healthcare. Certainly, we've seen a slow but increased uh, in incidence of the Omicron B uh, BA five now uh, variant. So it's. Um, uh, seems to be a little less um, severe in how it's interacting, but it's uh, just as contagious. And uh, certainly those individuals who are at the most risk, i.e. the elderly, or if you have chronic diseases, you need to uh, just be careful about uh, sort of what your uh, uh, risks are. Uh, certainly vaccination would be something to uh, to get and make sure you're up to date fully on that. Just check with your healthcare professional about that. Um, a lot of times you can go directly to your pharmacy. They have those guidelines. They're uh, available for everybody to see, and they can see uh, the screening on that. And if you do get COVID, um, get tested for it if you have symptoms. That can be anything from uh, mild uh, upper respiratory symptoms or a sore throat, uh, fever, fatigue, uh, any of those symptoms. And, and particularly if you've had a known COVID exposure, you want to get tested so that you protect yourself and those that you're uh, around. And then also to uh, to let your medical uh, doctor or your medical professional know um, for higher risk individuals, there is uh, several treatments 
um, that are available. Some of those, particularly in the state of Mississippi, are available without a prescription. So you can go ahead and get those um, if you uh, if you're positive. Uh, you can check with your again with your physician or with your pharmacy. We're going to go to our first caller right now, Doctor uh, Doctor Nelson. Hello, Doctor Nelson. You're on the air. Hello. Good morning. Hey, Good morning. how are you, Dr. Nelson? Hey, I am a busy woman. I am the mayor of Memphis, and I have one of my friends from Harborview Nursing Home in Memphis on the phone with us. He's just listening. But, Dr. Stewart, yes. good morning again. Yes, go ahead. My daughter, there are things that run in my family. My mother has scleroderma. Uh-huh. My, her firstborn granddaughter died of scleroderma. Mm-hmm. My, 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 my niece, who was her firstborn granddaughter with the scleroderma, her sister is still living. She has lupus, and she was, I was president of the Memphis Lupus chapter for a while. Mm-hmm. And, and she, she has one leg shorter than the other. Um, my daughter, when she was three or so, called Kawasaki. Mm-hmm. And when I heard your announcement, I said, ooh, let me dial right now because I can drive and talk, but I can't. I shouldn't, but I do. <laughs> <laughs> Got to be safe out there, right? Yeah, yeah. so is the, question, is the question more information about Kawasaki disease? Well, if you can touch on all three. Cause yeah, my yeah. My has rheumatoid. My oldest brother has rheumatoid. All of this stuff runs in our family. And I want you to, like, expand on it for your audience because a lot of people, like when I did my talks on lupus, and they're on YouTube. Um, I, I have several YouTube channels, but I think it's the one, Yvonne D. Nelson. And I talked to the teachers in the Memphis City Schools, which are now Shelby County Schools, which the superintendent just got fired from because Memphis is a hot mess. That's why I am the mayor of Memphis. But, sir... If you can touch on any or all of them, I did call about Kawasaki, but my daughter is 29, and she survived. And they kept sending us home. And eventually, we went to Le Bonheur Medical Center, and that's why I buy a Le Bonheur plate. And she, you know, because Le Bonheur saved my daughter's life. She had a temperature of 103. Her tongue was red. Her skin was peeling, and she used to hide her face from Dr. Dolberry, who was my dentist at the time, because she knew how ugly she looked. And children are precious. Hey, D- Dr. Nelson, let me, let me, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut you off a little bit right there just as, so we'll have time to discuss that. I'm going to tackle a little bit of, of the other diseases, but I wanted to start off with Kawasaki. Um, that is a common um, childhood disease. Fortunately, it, it only, um, usually only affects younger children. And, uh, you know, it's one of those um, autoimmune-type diseases, and we'll touch on the, some of the others you mentioned. But we don't really know what causes it. We think that most of the time it is induced by a viral infection. So a patient gets a, a child gets a virus, and then about uh, a few weeks after that, because of the immune response, sometimes your body, in fighting off those viral infections, it can um, it can mistake certain parts of your own body for that, and uh, that's that can cause 
uh, different things depending on what kind of immune response it is. So in the case of Kawasaki disease, that is a medium vessel vasculitis. That just means that medium-sized vessels, blood vessels or arteries are affected by that. And um, some of the symptoms that you get, certainly a high fever, any kind of inflammatory condition in the body can do that. Uh, There tends to be involvement of the mucous membranes in the mouth. You can have urethritis, which is an inflammation of the urethra. There can be some abnormalities in liver enzymes and platelets. Uh, But the biggest complication, which we have almost never seen anymore because of uh, knowing about Kawasaki and diagnosing it and treating it, is it can affect the medium-sized vessels that, that give a blood supply to the heart. And in some small uh, percentage of individuals with Kawasaki who are not treated, those can balloon up, they can dilate and cause an aneurysm, and it can cause a lot of problems down the line. So uh, to treat it, we actually use something called IVIG. Sometimes we'll use steroids too, uh, but IVIG and aspirin to reduce the risk of that. And that's pretty effective in almost all cases, and you don't see any kind of long-term complications. There are lots of screening tests that we do with that, too. One of them is an echocardiogram that looks at the vessels in the heart and just to see the diameter of them. And if they're a little bit enlarged, a cardiologist, a pediatric cardiologist will follow up on those um, and may want to do some further testing of that. But that's, that's Kawasaki disease. Now, some of the other autoimmune diseases that you mentioned, like scleroderma, lupus, and uh, rheumatoid arthritis, those are all in the bigger family of autoimmune diseases. So again, it's your body mistaking parts of itself for something that is foreign, and it makes uh, it causes an inflammatory condition. For instance, if it's rheumatoid arthritis, that's usually the joints in the body, and there's a certain uh, certain joints are affected more than others. Um, again, thankfully, we have ways to target parts of the immune system to sort of cut those parts off. Or, or decrease the immune response and the inflammatory condition to, that causes some of the long-term side effects. So some of the immune modulators for rheumatoid arthritis are very effective now and have a few, a few side effects, but not that very many, but can prevent the long-term damage. Scleroderma is one that we don't have as much in our arsenal of treating, and it can cause uh, some thickening of the skin. It can cause problems with swallowing. It can cause problems with decreased um, uh, salivary function or uh, lubrication of the eyes. And it can also, um, you know, cause some renal damage, some ki- some uh, damage to your kidneys. But again, it's treated by targeting the immune response for that. Same thing with lupus. There are lots of different medications that we use for lupus too. And lupus can affect uh, blood vessels in the kidney or the the heart or uh, or in the brain. Um, so in some families, there is a predilection for having more of these, and there's not really a way, a good way to prevent it. You just need to know about it. So having a good family history, and if you have any of these symptoms for any of these diseases, telling your physician about that early so that they can be tr- treated is, uh, is the key there. So that's... Um, yeah, just sort of an overview of that. But Kawasaki, yeah, fairly common. You know, we usually during the spring months, we'll see about one or two patients a month um, at the uh, Children's Hospital in Jackson. Certainly Le Bonner sees a lot, too, that you mentioned in Memphis. So um, early diagnosis and making sure you mitigate any kind of side effects is the key to, to good success in that. 
I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical questions answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Look at your vehicle, think of MPB. Need to get rid of your ride? Donate it by calling 877-MPB, the number four car. Need to have some work done on your truck? Listen to AutoCorrect Thursdays at 10, Saturdays at 11. An MPB license plate reminds you that MPB is with you wherever you go. Go to your county office and ask for an MPB car tag. MPB and cars, better together. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning answering your questions about any kind of health care issue that you might be having or somebody near and dear to you. The number to call right now if you have any of those questions is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're going to go to Rachel in Eupora. Good morning, Rachel. Good morning. Thanks for calling. So, you bet. So uh, I've been having some pretty serious diarrhea off and on for about a month and um i told my nurse practitioner about it and she said something about that there was a connection between your heart and your gut i don't know if she was talking about an artery or a muscle uh can you elaborate on that explain it a little bit Sure, um, I can I can take a stab at it. So uh, okay. I forgot to tell you that when I do have these bouts of diarrhea, I get a fluttering in my heart. Okay, yeah, that was going to be my next question. So, is there any kind of associated symptoms from a heart standpoint that are related? Is this diarrhea? Is it like multiple times a day, or just a loose stool here and there? Uh, it started out with uh, pretty bad, and I've been controlling it with Imodium and Pepto-Bismol. Okay. But it's not uh, several times a day. It is uh, like a few days, and then I have it, and a few days, and then I have it. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, And just watery stools, no blood in the stool? No blood that I have seen, no. Okay. And no weight loss that you've had with that either? Uh, not, not that I know of. I'm trying to lose weight, actually, but no, unfortunately not. And have you had any loose bowel movements at night while you were sleeping? No. Okay. All right. Um, Yeah, so a possible, what she's alluding to is a connection. A lot of these symptoms, you know, it could be a number of things that can cause chronic diarrhea like that that's intermittent in nature. One of the more common causes that it might be is something called irritable bowel syndrome. And uh, this is very common. It can actually present with either diarrhea or diarrhea and constipation or constipation. And different patients have, a, have different uh, manifestations of it. It doesn't tend to cause any long-term harm. It is just a horrible nuisance to people. And sometimes it can be related to different stressors in your life and how your body adapts to that. 
So it's not uncommon if it is caused by anxious situations or stressful situations that you can also have cardiac symptoms with that, like the fluttering that you mentioned. Now, there's not really a direct connection between those nerves that go to the heart and go to the gut. And certainly the heart does provide blood flow to the gut. And there are other things that I don't really think you have uh, about what you told me, but you can have decreased blood flow to parts of your large intestine and have something called ischemic colitis. But that usually presents with bloody stools and is an incredibly uh-huh. painful. And uh, it doesn't sound like that's what's going on. So that's, you know, it's not a direct connection. So, uh, you know, uh-huh. but if you are having stressful episodes or stress, you know, or a, even a stressful response to in general, you you know, people say, well, I don't really have anything that's causing my life to be stressful, but I do get anxious. All uh-huh. that can cause symptoms both in your heart and in your at your gut too. So, I have some patients that have had irritable irritable bowel syndrome that has been exacerbated by anxiety. When we treated the anxiety, those symptoms went away or got better. So that may be something to talk about or explore some more. But, uh-huh. as, but as far as any kind of connection to directly to like heart disease or heart problems, I don't really hear anything that, that's making me think that. Now, you can have arrhythmias of the heart. Now, if it just is a fluttering and it goes away after a few seconds, that's probably okay. Um, the things that really cause problems with uh, arrhythmias in the heart are the things that can cause chest pain, shortness of breath, or syncope. Syncope is just passing out. Um, so those would all be other associated symptoms that you would want to tell your physician or your nurse practitioner about. But it sounds like this is irritable bowel syndrome, and and the, some of the treatments is, is that you mentioned, you know, intermittent uh, anti-diarrheal medications. There are some medications like Bentil that are a little bit different in how they act, and are sort of antispasmodics uh, that can help uh-huh. because it's really a spasm of those muscles that help control um, uh, how fast and how slow your bowels work. Okay, now. I do have AFib, and I take medication for it. Does that uh, raise more concern? Yeah, now, now they're not necessarily connected, but if you have atrial fibrillation or AFib, that's an arrhythmia that affects the upper two chambers of your heart and um, you know, usually control with medication, so you have to control both the rate and the risk of clots from that. Um, that's probably not causing the irritable bowel syndrome, the degree of watery stools that you have, unless you got severely dehydrated, you know, that might make AFib worse. Another thing to think about that they probably already have checked is looking at your thyroid gland, too, because sometimes thyroid abnormalities can manifest as atrial fibrillation or be associated with atrial fibrillation and bowel abnormalities like diarrhea. So they may want to check that as well. Okay, that's great. I knew you'd come through for me. Thank, uh, you. thank you, Rachel. We appreciate your call. This is Southern Remedy. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're going to go to Wyatt in Hazelhurst. Good morning, Wyatt. Hey, good morning. How are you? Good. What's your... Uh, I have three... Go, go ahead. Three, uh, fairly short uh, questions about um, the plan for uh, the bivalent... Uh, COVID vaccines uh, anticipated in the fall? Yeah. Um, We have uh, three young ones under 10, all of whom have received um, both sets of, uh, I mean, both shots of the 
uh, Pfizer. Um, so um, the first question is, uh, do you anticipate that if, with the release of the bivalent vaccine, that the pediatric dose would be available at the same time as the adult dose? The second question um, is, would um, you recommend waiting on the booster until the bivalent is um, available and then the uh, given the timeline published so far? And then the third is, uh, would there be any increase, even though it's remarkably slim, of uh, the um, onset of uh, cardiomyopathy because of it being uh, two strands versus just one in the vaccine? Yeah, great question. So there's a lot of continuing research on what's the best way to immunize against um, the COVID virus as it mutates and as we see what kind of different um, strains are out there. So I think most people are are aware, you know, around here in most of the United States and world now, the, the Omicron variants, uh, and we've gone through a few um, since the spring are the are the um, predominant uh, type of variant, and they're a little bit different. If you talk about the original Delta variant that we had, and uh, you know, it's a it's a little bit less likely to cause severe illness. Some of that's modulated by the immunizations that we have. That those who are immunized have less severe symptoms, uh, or if you've had COVID before, you do have some residual immunity with that, at least for four to six months after having it. So what they're doing right now is exactly what Wyatt had described, is they're looking at different ways to have more than one strain to protect against. And this is, if you think about it, it's really similar to the way that we, uh, the, the way that they develop the flu vaccine every year. So they try to predict based on worldwide patterns what that's going to look like, and then they produce different strains or, or a uh, vaccine with different strain types. Um, so that the body can can uh, be more specific in that. So the first question is: Would the it, it, when that become that we think that it's probably going to be on target for the fall uh, when those come out? So the first question about is the peds dose going to be out with that? Almost always with something like this, the peds dosing is going to lag behind the adult dosing, and the reason for that is. They usually test that in adults, and there's different phases of testing. So there's three three in, uh, different phases before it goes out, and after the third phase, there's continue, continuing monitoring in fourth phase. But um, lots of different ways that they look for both efficacy, how well it works, and safety concerns if there's going to be any side effects. So they'll look at that in adults first because the pediatrics are one of those vulnerable populations. And they don't seem to be as affected as a whole in the same way as our elderly population from COVID, even the Omicron variant. Once they, they uh, you know, and it looks like we're pretty close to that right now with that, seeing that come out probably in September, October-ish, maybe a little bit later than that. Once they do that, they'll probably test that in pediatric populations in small numbers to see if it's also safe. Uh, and But it probably is going to lag behind a few months at least. The second question about waiting, you know, whether to wait, whether you need to go ahead and get your booster yourself, or do you need to wait until the fall? And uh, there's two ways to look at that. We know that immunity wanes after about four months, whether you've had a vaccine or whether you've had COVID uh, infection. 
So um, once you reach about four to six months, that's the the time to get a booster, particularly if you're over the age of 50, uh, if you have chronic um, uh, diseases that would put you at risk for this, like lung disease, heart disease, hypertension, if you're obese. Um, and if you're going to be in situations where you're going to come in contact with large numbers of people. So uh, rather than wait, because we have seen an uptick in Omicron in the last month or so uh, in cases in the state, I would probably go ahead and get the booster and then consider getting that bivalent when it's out. Um, and then the final question is, um, you know, what's the onset of uh, – we're going to see an increased onset of cardiomyopathy. There is a small, uh, very small um, uh, risk of cardiomyopathy after the vaccine. It is much, much lower than the risk of cardiomyopathy that is seen after getting COVID, though. So it is, you know, way lower uh, than if you got COVID, particularly uh, in in certain populations. Of the patients that are most likely to get it, it looks like it's males in, from the ages of about 18 to mid-30s, and almost all of those cases are reversible. So it's even if you have sort of a stunting of the myocardium, that's just the heart muscle that usually goes away after a few weeks, and the heart totally recovers from that. But the, the total risk is going to be higher with uh, getting covid and uh, again, that's part of the testing of uh, of those bivalent um, uh, viruses, uh, vaccines rather, is to make sure that we don't have an increased risk of that. And they'll they'll that'll be ongoing even after it comes out. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical questions answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think "Eh, maybe i'll try it myself some jobs just aren't that difficult and yes you can do it if you want to find out how to do those things listen to fix it 101 podcast everywhere this is an mpb think radio podcast This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy with you this morning answering your questions and some great ones so far about any kind of health care issues that you might be uh, experiencing or maybe it's somebody that's uh, in your family or maybe even a friend. The number to call right now for those is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're going to go to our friend Sue from Beaumont. Good morning, Sue. Good morning. Can you hear me? I've got phone trouble all the time. Oh, no. I can hear you loud and clear right now. Well, I want to ask you a question about uh, a few weeks ago, I had to have some stitches put in my arm, and uh, the nurse practitioner was going to use metallic, uh, you know, clips or something. And, and I told him I was allergic to all kind of metals, and um, everybody was like, what? But uh, I can't wear anything like necklaces, bracelets, earrings, watch bands, even the clips and it holds your bra together in the back i'm allergic to any kind of metal and uh silver is the worst but i finally found a uh stainless steel watch band and i, I can wear that watch stainless steel i can wear with no problem but 
What would cause a human being? I can understand if you're, uh, you know, able to get some poison ivy, or if you take a medication that doesn't agree with you, get rash and itchy red rashes. But why would your why would your body be allergic to metal? Yeah, you know that's an interesting question. I remember learning about this in medical school and certain types of metals and that people are are allergic to. The most, uh, you know, the one that is the the biggest offender is any kind of metal that has nickel in it. Um, and this isn't doesn't mean like it's a coin. It's uh, you know nickel is a common metal that is um, added to many different alloys. And um, one of the common presentations, this is one that you know you sort of it's it's pretty simple to diagnose. Is uh, somebody will bring their child in, or they'll they'll say, hey, I got this new. Uh, I've got this rash just on, on my, the front of my belly, right in the middle, and uh, it's just below my navel. And um, I'll ask, I'll look at it, and it looks like an allergic-type uh, reaction. And I'll say, hey, did you buy a belt, a new belt lately? And they'll they'll be like, have this shocked look on their face and say, yeah, how did you know that? And I was like, this is a nickel allergy. The other places in the ears or any any direct contact. So back to your question, like why does the body do that? Well, we really don't know. We know that certain substances and different people can, you know, elicit an allergic response. Now, now things like poison ivy, that's that's sort of an irritant and a an allergic response. So it's it's an allergy to the erucial oil that the plant makes, and it's sort of a natural defense mechanism too. Some people are sensitized to that though and can have a you know the overt uh, allergic response to it and some aren't i remember my dad could just rub it all over him he would just uh just bathe in in poison ivy and not uh, cause any problems if i looked at it sideways i would get uh you know that kind of uh, allergic response but we don't really know about metals you would think that you know the body would be fairly tolerant of different metals that you come into contact with but it's really about you know just some people can be sensitized to different things, whether it's pollen that you breathe or whether it's something you come into contact with. Maybe it's a certain type of food like peanuts or nut allergies. Um, but we really don't know about that. Now, as far as any kind of like, you know, the, the things that we use in medicine and particularly in surgeries tend to be those kinds of things that aren't going to cause that kind of reaction. Oh, okay. Uh, so those metals are a little bit different. And uh, they also think about, the, of course, if it's on the skin like that, you know, some people will say, well, these are these are staples. They're re- easy to put in and they're pretty easy to take out. Um, I haven't really seen a lot of any, any people that have had severe reactions to those staples. It's a possibility, but again, they're going to make those out of things that are really inert. We know that some metals, there's almost no allergy to them. Now, there, there might be that, that, that individual one in a million person that may have an allergy to, say, titanium, but titanium is, is a great metal to use. It's very strong. It's very lightweight, so it's using a lot of orthopedic procedures um, where you need to stabilize bones and where you leave it in there for a long period of time. Some of the other hardware that they use for some of those surgeries, too, has titanium in it. And a lot of the things that you would be concerned about, for instance, if you're having a future MRI, a lot of the metals that they're using now are not susceptible to, they're not magnetic, in other words. So uh, some of those older plates and things that people have, you got to be careful um, uh, if you're going to get an MRI because it can, 
it's not going to suck it out of your body or anything like that, but it's going to, uh, it may dislodge or it might move around a little bit or even heat up, um, in the MRI. But, um, yeah, so there's a lot, there's been a lot of scientific breakthroughs and, and advances in choosing the type of metals that are going to have the least amount of responses in somebody. And surgeons do use these sometimes, you know, most of the sutures that we use, either you take them out or they dissolve. Uh, certainly, you know, if you're having an abdominal surgery, for instance, they would tie things off with sutures that, uh, that are, uh, absorbed over time, but there are clips sometimes like if, um, it's very common to get an x-ray and to see clips from an old surgery. And those are little metal clips that stay in there and they usually don't cause any problems. They can be in there decades, your entire life and not cause any problems, but you could see it on an x-ray. Mm-hmm. Well, Stainless steel is the only thing that doesn't bother me. That's- yeah, and that's that's sort of what you find now. It you know some it, particularly when you're talking about jewelry, it might say one thing, but it might have other metals in there. And usually, stainless steel is going to be a little bit more pricey uh, than some of the other metals. Nickel's dirt cheap, so it's um, it's in a lot of different of the alloys. It tends to be less strong too. Stainless steel tends to be a lot more strong uh, and durable. So. Um, but yeah, that's, that's sort of the background on that for, for those metal sutures and the things that other people use. Well, thanks for the info. All right. Thank you, Sue, for calling. Glad you got uh, stitched up there. Let's go to John in Magnolia. Good morning, John. Uh, good morning, Doc. How are you doing this morning? Good. Uh, I'm having some problems. I got two knots on each side of my wrist and my right hand hurts and the pain goes in my shoulder. And uh, I had went to ER and they done an X-ray, and I started uh, having headaches. I ain't never had a headache, so the doc, the dietitian, I mean the uh, the nurse practitioner, told me to stop taking those pills. And they, the VA had gave me some AP AP pills and taking eight, eight hours, but sometimes my head still hurt. See, I was in the Korea and I was in the prison camp in Korea. Oh, and, okay. So, so John, let me ask you a question. So um, it sounds like there may be a couple of things going on here. So from the wrist standpoint, sometimes you can get knots on there, and they can sometimes they can feel more solid, and sometimes they can feel like they've got fluid in them. Is there any way that you could tell whether they felt like it was almost like sort of squishy, like it was uh, filled with fluid? Uh, no, I had went to the ER, and they, the VA sent me to the ER, and they took x-rays of it. Uh-huh. And they told me that they was going to send me to surgery, but I hadn't gotten no information yet. Gotcha. It, you know, they said, it, they said the x-rays showed that it was a little uh, um, arthritis or, or something in there. Yeah. So you can get – so arthritis, you know, that's that's sort of the wear and tear. Particularly the wrist is really common, particularly if you've used it a lot, in your, and it tends to be in your dominant hand, you know, if you're right-handed yeah. – or left-handed, it's going to be a little bit worse in that hand. The other place is the thumb, because we use our thumb so much. But a lot of times with arthritis, you can have associated knots that come up, and those can either be fluid-filled little um, uh, collections that are just because of the inflammation that's there, or if the arthritis is caused by other things like gout, Sometimes you can get some some outgrowths or you can get some knots called TOFI that are associated with gout. So uh, it might be a number of those things. As to the headaches, you know, I would 
I would and certainly headaches can be caused by a number of things, but because you haven't had headaches your whole life and they've popped up, yeah. I'd I'd keep uh, I'd keep on them about trying to figure out the cause of that. It could be uh, muscle strain related, particularly if you're having problems in your shoulder, like you mentioned. But mm-hmm. I would I would go ahead and I, you know I would keep asking them, hey, I'm still having these headaches and. It's not going away. This isn't something that I've had before because they may need to, you know, do something like a CT scan or an MRI to make sure it's not something else going on. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Because I know I, I fell off a flat deck on the ship, and uh, but I never had a headache. I yeah. Never, never. Yeah, over time, too, you know, arthritis and other changes like that can, can have a big impact. John, I want to say thank you for your service, in particular being, a, a, as I understand it uh, from what you said earlier, a POW. So that is an yeah. extra uh, amount of service yeah. and uh, for your country and for all of us. Well, we appreciate that uh, sacrifice that you made and the investment in, uh, in this country by doing that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right, Doc. All right. I appreciate you. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Yes, sir. You too. This is Southern Remedy. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're going to go to Terry in Tupelo. Good morning, Terry. Hey, Dr. Jimmy. I just wanted to give you a success story. Y'all, you only usually hear about the bad things and never get to follow up and hear about the good things. All right. So uh, I had talked to you about a month ago, and I was scheduled to have uh, – there's a big word for it. There's also initials. But what it amounts to is they take the disc out of the C5, C6, and C7. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, that's, what is that? There's an acronym, AD something other. But anyway. You, you know, I have to um, look it up, too. I'll, I'll, uh, you know, I'm not a surgeon, so it's uh, I just refer to it as a discectomy. So basically they're taking the disc out, and they're probably stabilizing the spine. But it does have a long acronym. You're right. They, they are, and uh, man, I'm telling you, it's like I got a new lease on life. Yeah, that's great. That's great. You know, yeah. it's when it's, you beat a when you when you beat a mule long enough, I guess I get used to getting a beating because my arm was so tight, but I didn't really realize it. And after the surgery, my whole arm just relaxed. Yeah, yeah, that's my, my left arm. I'm glad you had that outcome, Terry. And it's interesting. Like I think when we talk about spinal surgery and back surgery in particular, uh, that uh, lower back surgeries can have a lot more complications. But usually in the neck, it's actually you would think it would be a harder place to you know to to uh, you know, to get around and to do what you need to do from a surgeon standpoint to relieve a lot of that pressure on nerves or to stabilize the neck. It's actually a better outcome with neck surgeries. And some people are scared off a little bit because the access tends to be from the front. Um, So they actually go through the front of the neck and make a small incision to do that. But most of the time, um, you know, with a good surgeon at the helm, uh, knowing what they're doing, have a lot of experience, this is the kind of response that you see. And you're right. Sometimes we go through a lot of pain and we're like, you know, I just don't think I'm going to get any better. I'm sort of used to this. And then you really don't know until you have that surgery how impactful that can be. And Terry, what was your recovery like? Was it like a, a pretty sudden, or did you have to do some physical therapy? No, no, no physical therapy. I didn't even wear a neck brace. Um, the biggest issue that I had was my 
traps and my shoulder were sore. Yeah. And that soreness has now subsided. Yeah. But I have to give a shout-out to Dr. Jason Stacy. He was the surgeon that did this. And, and it's funny you mentioned the scar. It's about three inches. And I asked the nurse, I said, you know, will this scar stay on my neck? And she said, well, if you put vitamin E on it every day. And I said, no, 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 you don't understand. I don't want to lose a scar. Chicks dig scars. <laughs> you, yeah, that, may, that scar may turn into a different story. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You should save the shark. That's right. That's right. Got me on my neck. You should see what happened to him. Well, Terry, thank you for calling and giving us that success story. You're right. We, it's always good to hear that, and it might encourage some of our other listeners to uh, pursue that pathway if they're having some neck and uh, shoulder and, and arm pain or weakness. Well, you have a blessed day now. You too. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical questions answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning. Had some great questions, and I always love it when they're all different. They're all over the place and uh, can be impactful for so many different people. That's what I envision is uh, for every caller, about five to ten people out there saying, you know what, that's me. That's the same symptom that I have. And that's what makes this uh, Southern Remedy program great is that you get to choose the content. So always uh, great to hear from all of our listeners and from people who are having problems out there and see if we can help them or point them in the right direction. Uh, the number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Getting close to the end of the hour, so if you'd like to email us instead of call, the number uh, sorry, the email address is remedy at mpbonline dot org. Hey, Doctor Jimmy, if I could jump in here with a question. Um, I like to exercise a lot. When uh, We've talked about how I like to play tennis. I'm also a big walker. And, you know, primarily I think I walk for trying to burn calories, kind of stay in good shape. But I'm wondering if there are other benefits to walking in various forms of exercise as well. Yeah, that's a great question. That's Kevin Farrell, our producer, always uh, uh, has a great question uh, for us about uh, health care issues. So exercise is extremely important. We do tend to, as you mentioned, Kevin, to um, – fixate on one thing that's going to be a positive uh, outcome from it. And that's okay. You know, a lot of people will do it. I'll, I'll ask my patients, you know, hey, what do you want to get out of exercise? Don't just do it to do it. Like, what is the outcome 
you need to look for some meaning in that that's positive. And maybe it's to live longer. Maybe it's to, you know, have more endurance uh, in in what you can do during the day. Uh, Maybe it's for overall health benefits. Exercise is extremely important, and we learn more about all of its benefits every year we learn something different about it. Probably the most common you know, things out there is your cardio, overall cardiovascular health, particularly if it's activities like tennis and walking, but it can be other things um, that work on your aerobic conditioning. So that's basically anything that's going to get your heart rate beating faster and your breathing to increase, and you're really training your heart and the rest of your body to be more efficient in what it does and to uh, be more efficient in how much blood it's pumping, how well it delivers that blood to the different parts of your body. There's tons of different um, hormones that the body makes during exercise that dilate blood vessels, that have positive effects that go on not just during that activity of exercise, but also afterwards. Um, Certainly, if you do have medical problems, you want to check with your doctor about what might be appropriate and not appropriate for you to start off on. But there's really, even for patients that have heart failure or heart disease, uh, we now know that exercise is vital for them to live longer and to do better and have less symptoms. So some of the other things, though, that you may not think about is uh, things like prevention of falls. Uh, So exercising, particularly those exercises that work on those muscles that stabilize us uh, when you walk on uneven terrain, for instance. As we get older, we sort of lose that. We could get along pretty well, you know, straight forward and and backwards. But if you're off-center one way or another, if you're walking – as I was in Clinton uh, on brick streets uh, last night, and you step in a hole that you may not have seen, you utilize a lot of different muscles to stabilize yourself so that you don't fall down. So if you get up to be, you know, if you're 65, 70, and you're more at risk for a uh, fragility fracture, that's, uh, you know, a fracture if you fall down and uh, then that exercise, particularly exercises that involve some weights, certainly tennis would do that as you're having to like work on those muscles to go from side to side to uh, address the ball and hit the ball. Um, all of those kind of things can be helpful. And even things like the way our mind works, it's not uncommon if you think about this. Um, you know, after you exercise, you may feel pretty sluggish going into exercise. But afterwards, you get sort of that runner's high that used to be described about or other exercise high where you're like, you know, I feel like my memories are a little bit sharper. I feel like I'm really on task. I have a little bit more energy afterwards. So what you put into it actually can be beneficial on the backside of it with all of those benefits. We know that people who are more active in exercise tend to have less incidence of dementia as they get older. So that's another positive effect of that. Um, so we don't really know all the mechanisms why, but probably it has to do with, again, all those things that happen during exercise to deliver more blood flow to the brain and other organs of the body. And then if you have chronic um, illnesses, we mentioned heart disease earlier, just uh, in training the heart, even if you have heart failure, to be more efficient in what it does uh, and training your body how to deal with that. Even things like diabetes, it's extremely important to get uh, physical activity. You know, my patients will ask me all the time, well, hey, I have diabetes. What should I change in what I'm eating? And that's important. But exercise is even more powerful, particularly for a patient with diabetes, 
because it allows the body to utilize glucose more efficiently. So in both preventing type 2 diabetes and uh, treating type 2 diabetes, I always try to think about uh, incorporating physical activity and 150 minutes a week that would be sort of the minimum there with one or two days of, of light weights. Uh, and that's just as power, powerful as a medication in treating that. So same thing with hypertension, same thing with all of those diseases that affect your brain, your uh, liver, your heart, your kidneys. And, uh, man, if you combine that with diet, that, that makes for some really powerful medicine right there. And it'll keep you more active for longer. And another thing that, you know, certainly tennis is one of those. Certainly a walking can be another one, too. Anything that's going to increase your social socialization skills with other people and how you interact with them, that goes into it. Certainly a lot of people like to exercise by themselves, and that's great. If you can do it with other people, even better. So lots of positive effects of exercise. I highly recommend that all my patients and our listeners do that. Thank you, Kevin, for that uh, that question. Well, that's about all the time that we have for today. I want to thank all of our callers, as usual, for calling in with their questions. You can reach us by emailing remedy at mpbonline.org. Southern Remedy has been produced in part uh, by a uh, – produced by um, – uh, Mississippi Public Broadcasting and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners, so if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel.